Welcome back to Office Politics. I am your host, Jasmine Reed Clark, and this is the place where we get down and dirty about all things happening behind closed corporate doors. Okay, listen, if I sound a little giddy, it's because I am. I basically had like a full-blown pinch me moment, and I got to have on one of my biggest inspirations of life, which is Chelsea Fagan. Um, Most people know her from The Financial Diet, um, but I know her from way back in the day on Thought Catalog. Um, Her writing just really resonated with me in college, and she is single-handedly the biggest inspiration I had in college. So, If you have enjoyed any of my writing, you basically should thank Chelsea Fagan. Um, No pressure, Chelsea. And also, I stan. So, I had her on. um, She graciously agreed. And we get into a lot of really juicy topics. Chelsea is kind of the queen of hot takes. And uh, she did not hold back this episode. And neither did I. We give our honest opinion on family vloggers. Uh, Chelsea lets me know who she thinks need, needs to go to jail. <laughs> and we talk about what it's like being a CEO in the facade of hashtag girl boss companies. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, stay tuned. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Jasmine. Thanks for having me. Yes. So as I just told you guys, uh, pretty much Chelsea is one of the biggest reasons (laughs) I continued to write after college and even in college. Um, So Chelsea, it's really like a full circle moment to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. Now... Excitement is an emotion. What other emotions are you feeling this election day eve? Um, I am feeling uh, very good, very hopeful. Um, I have already voted. I'm doing some volunteering tomorrow. I have. I feel like I feel very comfortable with what I've done and what I'm doing. Absolutely. Um, and I think. Uh, because of that, I feel pretty comfortable with um, letting the rest of the chips kind of fall where they may. Um, you know, I think one thing that 2020 uh, has made very important is um, the need to really separate out and focus on what we can control and to not be so fixated on what we can't. Um, and I think that's a practice that a lot of us have kind of been trying to master over the year. And I think it's definitely coming in handy now if that is something that you feel comfortable with. And I, I pretty much do. I mean, obviously, it's it's natural to to worry to some extent and, you know, anything could happen tomorrow. But I I think that as long as you feel comfortable with what you've done, then you can kind of give yourself permission to, um, to, to, to try and um, enjoy yourself in the moment and to uh, not have to think about it constantly. Absolutely. You kind of touched on just focusing on what you can control, your self-care. Are there any new self-care rituals or routines that you've picked up either in part because of 2020 or just trying to make sure you're staying as sane as you can this election season? Yeah. So I, um, have always been someone who benefits from a a very, very structured life. And now more than ever, I try to have as many um, elements of my day that are planned out. And um, I have several different accountability groups going with different people um, for different goals. Um, Like I have one girlfriend, we walk 10,000 steps a day and we send each other screenshots. My sister and I do morning yoga and send each other pictures. Um, I have a small group that I do Pilates with, uh, you know, about, I do typically about four days a week. Um, and, you know, definitely just trying to schedule as many things as possible, including social activities and, you know, hobbies and all of that kind of stuff. And even if I'm just like, I got a big, um, this really nice adult coloring book and some really nice markers. And like, even if I'm going to have an hour, you know, watching TV and coloring, like I try to schedule that out and say like, that's my time to do that. Because I feel like, A, the more scheduled my day is, the less time I have to just 
worry and doom scroll and, you know, yes. turn in circles. But also I think when something is scheduled and planned for, you tend to be more present for it and really enjoy it more. Oh, I love that. That is definitely true. I'm like you. I have like ADHD, so I have to schedule everything. I'm very organized and it's for survival reasons. Um, Now with that, knowing that you are so scheduled and knowing that you are also a CEO and like, you know, Instagram hero, at least for (laughs) me (laughs) and like anyone else who loves home decor and food. Um, how do you really make sure that you honor the things you set aside for yourself? Because I am so guilty of, oh my gosh, let me completely not keep my commitment to myself in order to keep commitments to other people. So do you struggle with that? Um, well, first of all, you're definitely home inspo yourself, lady. (laughs) Your stuff looks amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, you've been featured on apartment therapy, girl, like, come on. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I actually don't shortchange myself. I feel like if anything, I'm too self-indulgent to be perfectly honest, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I definitely treat myself as, um, a very high priority. I think right now, um, I was talking to my therapist about this actually this morning. Um, and weekly therapy is definitely a big, um, thing, uh, for sure. I've dealt with a lot of personal issues, in 2020 that have nothing to do with COVID or the election. So I, I early on, like, and this was happening before COVID. So like, ironically, I was sort of going on a a bit of a mental health journey, so to speak before COVID hit. And then obviously that's been very helpful. But, um, one thing I was talking to my therapist about, uh, today was that there are a lot of people uh, around me in my personal life who are, um, struggling in various ways, having, um, a tough time. And as a CEO, also, there's, I think, a responsibility to uh, my partners and my employees and things like that um, to, to kind of play the, a similar role to what I play in a lot of uh, elements of my personal life, which is like, I want to offer support. I want to put others first. Um, but interestingly, I feel like in doing that, I, like, I get a lot out of it. Um, you know, when I can offer support to someone else or make myself available to someone else. I think similarly to my earlier point about like when you schedule something, even if it's something very mundane, you tend to be more present for it. I think if you are making the choice, because ultimately everything we do is a choice, everything we do is a priority. So if in a certain moment you are prioritizing helping someone else out, like I just had a phone call right before this with someone who's having a tough time and just wanted to talk for 30 minutes and I just mostly listened. But I think when you sort of acknowledge that you're making the choice to do that and that's how you want to spend that 30 minutes, I think it can be additive and not feel like you're taking away from yourself so long as you're very, very um, intentional and aware about the fact that you are making that choice. If you don't, if you always feel like you're getting pulled into something and you don't really ever feel like you're consenting to your time being Mm taken up like that, I think then you can start to have that feeling almost of resentment of like, why do I never have anything left for myself? But I do feel that because for me, it's always an active choice and a role that I feel like I'm privileged enough to fulfill because like I am financially and professionally stable. I'm healthy. I'm young. I don't have children to take care of. Like there's a lot of reasons why I should be in that role. But when you accept that that is what you're doing with your time, then I think it can be additive rather than feeling like it's taking away. Oh, I love that. And I love the idea of like how you, consenting to your time and being more present in those moments. That's great. And another reason I love you, Chelsea, is because you are just the queen of hot takes. Stop. Like, I love I that you love like, a take. <laughs> <laughs> so, first hot take, we're going to get into a few. Um, I think let's just get into it. Hustle culture, it is awful and it's super damaging. And somehow I would have thought, honestly, once you launched the financial diet and it picked up a lot of momentum and popularity, honestly, I was waiting for the moment for you to change and be like, I get up at 5 a.m. And I, you know, and girl, no, you have stayed true along the way. And A, A, just here's just a microphone for you to rant about hustle culture, or just give any surrounding thoughts you have, especially in 2020? Yes. So I, first of all, I feel like night owls are an oppressed class. 
that we mm-hmm. never address. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the world is so, and actually I'm not even like, I'm like partially joking in the sense that like, it's definitely not an impression on par with a lot of others. However, there are a lot of studies that show that society is very much tilted toward morning people and that many people are just biologically not morning people. And by insisting that everyone keep to a specific schedule that is very tilted toward the morning, like you're sort of like making some people kind of chronically underperform or be like chronically exhausted. Um, Mm -hmm. Over the years, I have like adjusted my schedule back a little bit so that I do wake up earlier than I used to. And I go to sleep earlier than I used to, but it's definitely a struggle at all times. Like my natural internal clock is from like, I would ideally go to sleep at like one in the morning and wake up at like nine, nine thirty. That's obviously not what I do now, but that's where I naturally am. Um, and I do think that the fetishization of waking up really early. So I think it's all kind of in the same basket. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're someone like my father has naturally woken up at 5am since he's like been a teenager and that's just his internal clock. And some people are like that. And that's awesome. And if you're very productive in the morning, good for you. But I do think the fetishization specifically of like getting up insanely early and just like accomplishing a ton of things in the morning is to me, it kind of feels similar to people who are very obsessed with being thin, um, or very obsessed with, um, you know, having like eating clean or having, you know, like, like really obsessed with skincare or like, I think there are a lot of these obsessions that are really about exerting control over your life. Um, and a lot of it is, performative on like gender lines, although with the, um, I mean, males are definitely very much guilty of the hustle culture stuff as well. Um, but I think ultimately like, although sometimes there are gender elements, I think the overall sentiment is like, I think that we live in a world that feels increasingly, um, out of control and increasingly Mm -hmm. removed from our natural instincts and our natural needs. And I think that that feeling of being extremely in control of your life and your body and your choices. Um, I think there's an element of it that almost kind of fills the place that religion used to fill very commonly for society. Um, like people used to have this really strong sense that like, if they lived their lives according to certain moral values, that they were a better person, that they, um, were, that they deserved more for it, that there was something about them almost like Uh, physiologically that changed for them. And I think we don't have that so much anymore, but we do have that sense of being out of control. So I think there's an almost like quasi spiritual element to it. And I think that the hustle culture is one iteration of that. I think there's also like the wellness culture, which is like sort of the opposite end of that, but it's all the same thing. It's like exerting this almost unnatural level of control over your life as a way to sort of purify yourself and feel and appear more, um, more deserving. That is insane. You actually just gave (laughs) me a lot to noodle on and I will be talking with my therapist about this because 2020 like triggered some disordered eating habits that I thought I had Mm -hmm. left behind in like college and high school. Um, so it's funny that you bring up skincare because once I felt like I was less attractive on the outside, I was like, okay, well, what is something on the outside I can control immediately. And I, you know, it's probably no seek or it's, it's not a coincidence that I then started getting super into skincare. Some of that too, was just like, I was getting acne from like wearing the mask and whatnot, but it's to hear you put correlate it all together. That's really interesting. Um, I love that. And then as far as hustle culture within the TFD, world. Is there anything that you put in place or anything that you are really intentional about so that your employees are taking care of themselves? Totally. So a couple of things. Um, so, well, sucks that COVID completely undermined this, but our policy used to be minimum three days a week at the office, but your schedule is kind of up to you. But like most people took at least one day work from home per week, um, sometimes two. And I think that off the bat really helps people balance their lives more because they have, you know, just even have one or two days a week without the commute where you can like go run an errand at lunch, like things like that were very helpful. Um, we keep people to like, if people are working past what they're supposed to be working, like if people are working more than the 40 hours a week, like we try to really discourage that as much as possible. Um, people are allowed to kind of work on the schedule that works for them. We're very flexible about, you know, days off or working on an adapted schedule. If you have something going on, um, 
we give, uh, we have a very, very generous, I hate saying generous, but a, a, a substantial maternity leave policy. We do again, po- like when COVID's not a thing, um, three months, uh, work from home and three months, totally off all paid full. Um, we have a very, very good, uh, health insurance plan that we offer and we cover 70% of it. Um, like we try to do as many things as possible that, um, make the work environment um, adapted to just human life and especially female human life. I mean, all of our employees are women. Um, most of them are, you know, either planning to have children in the nearest future or already have children. So definitely adapting to that. Also, I, I mean, I would, I believe that we pay very competitively. So, you know, in general, like our goal, I mean, the most difficult part of operating any business, frankly, is hiring people and finding people and all of that. So our goal is if someone is good, like our employees stay for a very, very long time. Um, and you know, I mean, obviously there's an exception here or there, but for the most part, like we want to create an environment where people really, really want to stay because I think long-term it is so much better for any business, especially a small business where one person makes a huge difference to have a very loyal workforce and be very loyal to them so that there's just that sense of security. And also it's hard to take into full account because of all the time that it takes. That's hard to measure, but it's very expensive to replace someone. Um, So, you know, it's definitely very much worth it to make sure that everyone's really being taken care of. Um, And at the end of the day, I think ultimately happy employees who are living balanced, healthy lives, um, they do better work. And that's true of everyone. So, you know, I think it's definitely, uh, it's in our interest as much as as much as theirs to do that. And it really bothers me that some of these things are not, I mean, I worked in a media job before TFD and I had been there for multiple years and I capped out at, I was, had, had the word director in my title and I capped out at $42,000 a year, no benefits. So, and that, and that's in New York city, New York city, baby. Oh, yeah. So that's painful. Suffice to say, like you can get away with treating people like shit in this industry. So, you know, I, it, but I do think that ultimately when you do treat people like that and you don't value them, eventually you pay the price. Oh, completely. I think this year we saw so many like expose pieces, but pieces that needed to happen. Oh, for Um, sure. Oh, like, and I've, I've worked for some of those girl boss companies and that's why I I love, yeah, they're all, not all, but a lot of them are shams. And then you talk about maternity leave and I've worked at those places where it's six weeks and then your ass better be back in the office and mm-hmm. um but they love to boast about being like female owned and like how they're socially responsible so it's so interesting when you're on the inside and you see the corruption firsthand and it means nothing to be female owned if that female uh person is not treating people well at every level and also like I do feel like there's this weird vibe, like, cause we saw so many of those girl boss situations. Like there was uh, man repeller, there was the wing, there was the editor at refinery 29. There were a ton of them. And I feel like one thing that you see across the board, I actually don't know about the refinery 29 woman, but like in two of those situations with um, man repeller and the wing, like the expose was a lot about how like women in particular were being ridden really hard and they're, you know, weren't those comprehensive benefits for things like maternity leave. Like women were punished. We saw this at nasty gal, like mothers were actively like pushed out of the company. And one thing that you'll notice with a lot of these women is that they are themselves young mothers or they are, um, you know, young adult women who are ostensibly in the same situation, but universally, like aside from making a shit ton of money from the company itself, they're also married to super rich guys. Like (laughs) several of them, like, were married to super rich guys or with super rich guys, like before they even started these projects. So like to compare these situations where you have like, because there's that attitude of like, if I can do it, you can do it. Like, yep. bitch, no, I no. can't because <laughs> you're like a multimillionaire married to another multimillionaire who have like a staff of domestic workers. Like you exactly. have nothing in common with her. Exactly. I, the company I left during the pandemic, same thing. She's like, well, my daughter sits with the nanny. And I'm like, that's not everyone's reality. It was hundred percent. And it's just very strange. And then she's like, well, most people are like 22 to 25. I'm like, yeah, but people are going to want to have kit, most people. So it's, yeah. 
actually, I didn't run this by you, but uh, something you and I have in common, unless things have changed, we are both um, child free by choice. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're cool yes. if we get into for a minute? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, when did you realize? So I grew up always knowing I wanted to be child free by choice, but open to the idea that that could change. Um, it hasn't. And I don't think it ever will, but I love kids. I love being like an aunt or, you know, a play auntie. I love, I love children. I just knew that it's not something I wanted. And I think there's a whole therapy session as to maybe there's some childhood wounds as to why I don't want to be a mom. But I'm curious, just like when you came to that realization about yourself. So I remember even when I was like 10 years old, I used to always say to my mom, like, I don't want to have any babies. Like I I would adopt a baby. Like I, I just remember having a really strong feeling about that when I was a kid. I think I was one of those kids who hated being a kid. I hated being a teen. I hate like the whole thing. I was like, why do I have to listen to grownups? Most of them don't know much more than I do. Like I, I was very, like I liked to be by myself or be with adults. Um, even when I was a teenager, like I hung out in a social group that was like mostly consisted of older people, which like looking back, that was probably problematic, but like, (laughs) I definitely like, I hated being a child. I hated being an adolescent and all of that stuff. So I definitely always had a feeling of like, even when I was a kid, I didn't want to play with kids. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. I'm an only child. So I was like always around adults. So like, I do understand. I have a sister, but she's seven years younger than me. So a lot of my formative years were basically as an only child. Um, But I think it's interesting because I used to be a little bit more antagonist. Like I felt an antagonistic relationship to motherhood and kids and stuff um, because for many years, uh, just because it was like the most adapted job, I was a nanny. Um, And I, I, I felt an antagonistic relationship to motherhood during that time, not to kids, but to having kids because a lot of the families I worked for were very wealthy families that both parents worked and I spent like I was with the child the majority of the time. Sometimes there were multiple nannies and um, babysitters, you know, passing, you know, the kids off. And it was like, I saw that and I, it was really hard for me not to feel a sense of like, why did you guys have kids? Like, this is so unfair to the kid. Um, and I had that feeling of like this, like I, I understand, especially generationally, like I think they're like, we're at a cusp of a generation where I think we feel a bit more empowered to make that choice. But I think for a lot of these women um, in these marriages, like they were women who were very, who are, were very motivated by their careers, um, but felt an obligation to also be a mother, but didn't really have, I think, a solid plan for how to kind of partition that out and we're married to men who, and unfortunately, statistically, this is the norm who assume that they would be the primary parent. And they're the ones who suffer in the workplace. They're the ones who have the expectation to do both at all times. And so I, I saw constantly these family situations where nobody wins. The kids barely see their parents. The mother feels like a failure on all sides because she's being pulled in every direction and can't do it all at once. The father often, I think, feels very checked out of the family life most of the time. Yeah. And I saw all of that. And I, I think it gave me a very, very sour taste, which especially coming out of a childhood where I didn't feel strongly towards other kids as much. Um, it made me feel like this is horrible. Like, not like antinatalist, but very much like, again, antagonistic to the situation. And I think as I got further away from that and started to know a lot more mothers in my own life, and I actually ended up remaining and to this day, very good friends with one of the women that I was a nanny for. She was pretty close to me in age and like started to get a much more nuanced picture of motherhood and kind of settled more into this feeling of like, I think I have a lot to offer you know, the, the children of the world to to an extent that I kind of feel like I could better serve all of the children in my immediate community if I don't have my own and felt more comfortable about it and less antagonistic. And now that has made me feel like so much more like empathetic and loving toward mothers and children. And if anything, I feel motivated to help 
break the situation that we're in with regards to the sort of complications of, of working motherhood. Totally. Absolutely. I love that. And I, I feel the, I feel the same way. So that's, but it's also nice to have somebody in the public who speaks about it because people, it's just a question like till this day, people are like, you'll change your mind. I'm like, I don't know. I'm 30. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to change my mind, but. And if you do, if you were to change your mind, that would never be because someone else was telling you that. And (laughs) I also, I also do feel like there's, there's a sense that a lot of people have. I think that your life is just inherently a lot less rich if you don't have children. And I'm sure that there are ways in which that's true, but you know, I think an interesting perspective that I have from running a business is that I could easily say to someone, Oh, like, you've never run a business. There's a huge, like you've never been, you know, an entrepreneur or what have you. There's a huge part of your life that you're missing. Like you could be doing this amazing thing where you're enacting your will every day and you know, you're building something bigger than yourself and this, that, and the other. But I understand that that's very much not for everybody. And that's an experience that a lot of people may never have the ability to have, or may never want to have. And it would be condescending of me to assume that their life is lesser without that experience. Similarly, people who are like, very, very uh, passionate about travel and make those same judgment calls towards people who don't. It's like, I think the more we can look at life as, you know, there's an infinite amount of richness that we can all have in our lives. And there are so many different ways that we can include that richness in our lives. The less we'll feel obligated to make everyone else kind of follow that same path that we chose toward that fulfillment. Although I will say one thing, and my mom does say this to me, and I think it's very true, is that it's totally fine to opt out of having your own children, but you don't want to opt out of having an impact on the world that you leave behind. So I think being definitely, yeah, like definitely just like being very thoughtful about what that impact is and how you're having it, which you will need to somewhat supplement if you don't have kids is very important. Okay. 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 If this year couldn't get any more stressful. We now have the holidays upon us, people. I have no idea what to get. Do I get a Snuggie? Do I get more subscription boxes? Help me. Now, I don't know what all of those holiday guides are going to say, but listen, I think we all know somebody who is motivated or lost or upset or likes nice clothes. Any of those things, we have a magical place they can go. They can head on over to the Revolt Career Network, and we've got t-shirts, programs, books, programs, guides, anything to get your life, get your glow up. Come on, one-stop shop. Now, here's something that is even better. Because it's been a hell of a year, I know we are all looking to save a little moolah. So use my special code, Office Politics, to get 25. 25% off. That's right. Hey, even just like take a gander. Go go window shopping, okay? Online. Pour a glass of Pinot. Tell me what you love. We still have the no five-year plan shirts. We have some new job guides. Guys, like anything. Well, switching gears a little bit, we're both writers and we both have grown up on the internet. We both have that interesting experience. Of, we didn't always have social media and the adoption of it, blah, blah, blah. So you've actually spoken really openly about growing up on the internet. And basically, there are things you can't take back. I know I personally have, I now have had to implement new rules. Certain family members do not want (laughs) to be. Basically, I just make sure that what I'm talking about deals with me and that I'm not telling somebody else's story for them. Mm -hmm. Are there any rules that you've had to implement for yourself just to protect the relationships you have? Um, I very rarely talk about my family or my friends or like people or my husband, uh, anything other than like my husband, I'll write like jokey anecdotes about like things that happen at home, but, um, very much like nothing personal. I really don't post photos of like friends and family very much. 
um, because I do have a fairly large following of mostly people I don't know. So I don't want to put them out there like that. Um, and I'm very careful about, you know, like you said, not telling a story that isn't my own. I think that's a really big, um, ethical issue. I have a massive, massive problem with the degree to which we are okay now with violating children's privacy on the internet. Um, that's probably my biggest issue because I started writing publicly at 21 years old and looking back, there are, there are many ways in which I don't even think at that age, I understood what I was doing. Um, Mm -hmm. and I regret Mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff. So to imagine, you know, being a child or an adolescent and having stories about your personal life, about, you know, I've seen parents talking about their children's mental health, um, you know, posting photos of them that I don't think they would want posted, you know, and then sometimes to very large audiences. And I feel like we're already a little bit starting to see that children um, who are getting agency and wanting their parents to, especially parents who do have public facing um, audiences to, 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 to not um, share that about their children. But I do feel very passionately about that subject in particular, because I think that that is, um, that we don't even yet understand the extent to which it is dangerous to, uh, essentially conscript someone into living publicly before that they, they even understand what that means. Completely. I, uh, here's a hot take for you. Yes. I really don't think I agree with family vlogging. What are your oh, thoughts? No. On? no. Oh my God. Those people should be in jail. In yeah. jail. <laughs> a lot of them should actually be in jail. Like that, this, this shit, like there was an article like a year and a half ago. I don't know if you read it. It was called like something weird is happening on YouTube. And it was like a deep dive into these family vlogs yeah. that like mm-hmm. so many of them are like them doing weird shit to their children or like filming them screaming and crying or like, it is really scary. Like, okay. I'm just, whatever. If I regret it later, um, like Cole and Savannah LeBrant, like, I don't know. Okay. But they'll do things like pretend a dog ran away or like get, it's just weird things. Traumatic. Right. Right. And the daughter's like having a breakdown and, it's just very strange. So I don't really agree with family vlogging at all. But I absolutely what? hate it. And I know so many influencers. I have such a problem with influencers and we can talk about that. But yeah. I like, so one of my biggest pet peeves is influencers and advertisements because like, like I occasionally have accepted in the past a long, pretty long time ago at this point, have accepted free things that I posted on my personal account. And I completely regret doing that. And I have a complete moratorium of ever doing anything sponsored on my personal account, because I think essentially like it just like creates a really bad feedback loop where you're living this life that you couldn't necessarily afford, but people think it's your real life and this whole, that this, that, and the other. And so I, I am such a viper about like, I know influencers and some of these people I know in real life. And if I see them posting something that is uh, gifted or an advertisement without properly disclosing it, I report their ass. I report them because I'm like, I, I'm like, you are creating, like you are creating mental illness in your audience by essentially Mm. gaslighting them about what is a reasonable lifestyle to expect or what you're living or any of this stuff. Like you're gaslighting your audience. But so that in and of itself, like just that shit kills me and I hate it. But the next level of it, and this is so common is featuring children in advertisements Mm -hmm. because like there's, there's a lot of regulations about like, if you film a child for uh, let's say like, I don't know, a sneakers commercial on television, like there are serious laws around that. There are ways that we ensure that the children are um, ha- in- entitled to their own money, that they only mm-hmm. work a certain amount of time, that they consent to everything they're doing. Like there's a lot of structure in place, but posting a sponsored post on Instagram, like that stuff is barely regulated, sometimes oh. not at all, even less so when it's just gifted stuff. So like to see these children in these advertisements that are first of all, rarely even disclosed properly, but then is the child getting some of this money? Like, did the child consent to this? Are they working according to child labor laws? Like Mm -hmm. that stuff really, really freaks me out because, you know, when we look at like, when we look at what happened to child stars almost systematically, like they deal with so many mental health issues as adults. And part of that is the fame, which, you know, at a smaller scale, these children are experiencing. But then also I think part of it was a feeling that they essentially forfeited a normal childhood before they understood what they were doing. And to do that 
for so little, relatively speaking. Like Macaulay Culkin was like a multimillionaire by the time he was 10. These kids are maybe going to like, I don't know, get some free stuff from their favorite toy companies and they're sacrificing their childhoods or the right to a normal childhood. Exactly. And and I also just think, why do these parents also have accounts for their kids? Like, it's so also, it's so weird. Like, people now, when they register for gifts, register for their kids' Instagram handle. And it's just very strange to me. I don't it's, understand. I won't say who. I'd rather not because I would just rather not. But yeah. there's a celebrity couple who has gone so far into the process of branding their own child. Um, in terms of creating a social media presence for that child that constantly posts updates, uh, creating a social media presence even for a few of that child's like project slash interests. Like their child has a highly, highly curated uh, social media presence that has already done several branded deals. And their child is three, I want to say, two, between two and three. Uh, you. If you cannot read a contract, you do not need a brand deal. Like No, and both of these parents like are multi 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 multimillionaires. Like that they don't need the money. And I just every time I see it on my feed, I'm like this is like even if in the, like I understand at the okay, I understand on some level like maybe you want to reserve a handle or a web domain because that child might want that later in the future and it's nice to have it secured for them if they want to use it for professional or personal reasons, fine. Last actually like YouTube kid thing, did you at all keep up with like the Micah chauffeur? Was that the one who returned their child? Yes. Jail. Jail. (laughs) Jail. Like that's what jails are there for, jail. Judge Chelsea is here. She hit her gavel. So it's true. I'm I'm no. sorry. No, it's true. Oh, I'm with you. Um now all of this, you know, I'm money is a huge theme, obviously, with YouTubers, children, but also your pers or your professional brand with the financial diet. Now I know your story because I'm a stan, but yeah. what has your relationship with money been like? You know, some people might think that you you came from this well-to-do family, but that just isn't the case. Mm-mm. No, I grew up when when I was little, um, probably till about middle school, we were very poor. Uh, my parents then, uh, as I got older, became more and more middle class. They're still middle class for sure. Um, but I definitely experienced a lot of um, just financial instability. And then, you know, because of that, I think I always had just like a very negative relationship with money. I was very insecure about it. I was very envious. I lived in high school in a very affluent area where I was not very affluent. So, you know, it definitely created this, um, you know, just this sense of longing. Like it was, you know, thank God I didn't have stuff like Instagram back then, um, in terms of feeling very, um, like I was really missing out on something. And so I always had a very negative relationship with it. And then, you know, as I, came into early adulthood. I just, um, especially because of some financial mistakes that I'd made as a teen, um, in terms of like, I maxed out a credit card and threw it away. Like I spent all of the money that I had earned, um, working summer jobs all through high school. And, and I also even worked part-time through the school year and like all that money was gone within a few months because of just reckless spending. So I just, you know, I had a pretty, a pretty unhealthy financial life. And that's why I started TFD and kind of changed my relationship to it. But I mean, the thing is that I, we've been trying, especially like, so most of TFD at this point, most of the content that we create is not me. You know, we have um, like the editor of our website is, you know, someone with a totally different perspective, our social media editor, totally different perspective. We have tons and tons of, um, you know, freelancers and contributors and stuff that we feature for all different types of stuff. So I try to make myself um, not as much of a defining voice as possible because A, I don't think any one person should really be the defining voice about money, but also because like, I am very financially stable now. Like I don't experience the same things that I did even five years ago. And um, so I do try to, even the stuff that I do myself, like I'm trying to pivot it more into educational content as well as sort of um, pop culture analysis and like things that are a little bit less about myself and more about the concepts. Uh, Just because I do think that, you know, I never want to be at a place where, you know, someone is comparing themselves to me because just naturally I'm at a different place financially 
than I was at that time. And that's where I hope everyone gets to. Like, I hope everyone gets to a place through interacting with TFD where they don't need it as much, or at least the purely kind of 101 stuff. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's that's really good. Well, it's true. It's definitely helped me a hell of a lot, especially when it relates to like vocabulary. I think that I have no science to back up this claim, no evidence, but sometimes I feel like they want these words to go over our heads so that we just like oh, yeah, stay over sure. Yeah. So financial diet's been really great for me, especially just um, on the cooking, like meal planning, meal prepping side. So um, do you feel like you still have to deal with any of those childhood wounds or do you feel as though you're in a much healthier place now? I, de- I definitely feel healthy. I, I think... I think the good news about money is that it's not like a lot of other traumas. And a lot of people do have traumas around money for sure. Um, you know, I, I think especially a lot of our generation that uh, in some way or another experienced the 2008 crash. Um, I think that changed a lot of people's relationship to finances, their family's relationship to finances. So I think a lot of people do come to money with some kind of baggage or trauma, but I think the good news about it, is that it's not like a lot of other traumas in the sense that it's pretty um, quantitative and it's external in general. It's not really you. It's it's something outside of yourself. And it's also not personal. It's something that everyone experiences. It's something that everyone has to navigate. So I think when you think about it enough and talk about it enough and make it as much as possible just about the numbers and about the black and white element of it, um, that it's something that you can really gain a sense of control over so that sure, there are maybe still ways in which you want to improve it or you want to change, you know, how you handle it, but it doesn't weigh on you emotionally. I think that's definitely something that everyone can aspire to. Oh yeah. I think that's really good. That's great. Now, something I want to ask you is as an online personality, are you like, how do you deal with trolls and cancel culture? I don't get trolls. I mean, so the only place where we um, might have some trolls would be the YouTube comments. But I, um, I typically only engage with like the top ones because the trolls tend to lurk at the bottom, get way downvoted. So I try to avoid them. I try not to look as much at the YouTube comments also because I don't want to be like, I want to create the content that I feel strongly about, and I don't want to be kind of too influenced by it. And also sometimes they're mean. So yeah, (laughs) that place where I think there might be trolls, I tend to avoid. Um, I don't generally get trolls on my personal socials. Um, And like the TFD Instagram will sometimes get trolly comments, but that's not me. That's my business. So I don't really like respond to it in the same way or feel the same way about it. Um, So I don't really deal with trolls. Our audience tends to be like just really nice and supportive and kind. Um, However, cancel culture, like I've already been canceled. Uh, I was canceled. Did you not know this? When I, it was like the fourth article I wrote for Thought Catalog. I wrote an article about the slut walk that was basically just like. Well, I didn't know about it until you talked about it on TFD. I was like, I don't remember that at all. It was like, it was not woke. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, I was 22. I had like, you know, a bunch of like contrarian 22 year old ideas. And I was like, listen, you know, it's if you wear a certain outfit, like you're going to be perceived in a certain way. And it was like, it was pretty naive. And it was also just written in a very callous way. And, you know, people really came for, for me and, you know, it got, I, I dealt with like a couple weeks of just like really, you know, nasty comments. And, you know, I actually had a couple um, people at other outlets who wrote like response articles, like mm. kind of takedowns, some of whom I ended up actually befriending and getting to know personally. Um, on the one year anniversary of it, I wrote a follow-up article talking about the experience and what I learned and all of that stuff. And, um, just kind of went on with my life. And I think because of that experience, I kind of have two feelings about it. One, I've already been canceled, so I don't really fear it in the sense that like the only things I could ever think would happen would be like, someone would dig up an article I wrote when I was like 22 and be like, look at this thing she said that was bad. And I would have no problem saying, yeah, it was bad. Like I wrote something about 10 years ago and it was ill-informed or, you know, problematic that I agree with you. Um, 
because I think most of the time, the quote unquote cancellation, most of the issue comes from the person doubling down and getting very defensive, Mm -hmm. um, which I would not do. However, I think it has made me like, I won't engage in cancel culture in the sense that like, I, one of my cardinal rules is I will never, ever argue on Twitter. I will never like, you know, write a piece just to like, unless it's something that's really punching up, like there are like massive figures in the personal finance industry that I will be very vocally critical of. But if it's just like another YouTuber, I'm not going to dedicate a video to taking them down. Um, Because I think ultimately, like, I'm interested in progressive politics as a political movement. Like I'm interested in these things eventually becoming codified in policy. Like I'm interested in, you know, us creating a better infrastructure around things like, you know, racism and sexism and uh, assault and all of these things. I'm interested in, in systemic policy changes. And I think what you need more than anything in order to build a real political movement is the big tent. You need a lot of people on your team. And one thing that I think is very true is that the right will take any Johnny come lately grifter who probably doesn't even believe what they're saying, but they're like, welcome to the team. Like fucking, sorry. Uh, Kanye West like comes out with these like incoherent statements and they're like, he's the new face of the movement. Oh my God. Don't even get me started. And like, obviously anyone with a brain cell can be like, he's just constantly having manic episodes. And like the right conspiracy theory is like fitting into whatever worldview he's going through right now and probably lines up with like some personal grievances that he experienced, but he's clearly not like an ideological ally to this movement. But what they are willing to do is take any opportunity to bring people into the fold and grow their power. And I'm like, why is the left constantly doing the exact opposite, which is like people who 99% agree with you, if they mess up on 1%, you're going to take them to the town square and beat them. Like, that's not how you build a movement. And like, ultimately, like there are a few things that I think are deal breakers with Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a few beliefs that I feel like, okay, that's beyond the pale. We can't build together. But for the vast majority of people and the vast majority of these goals, it's like, okay, we don't have to agree on much, but if we can agree to like unite on this thing, like you're more an ally than an enemy. Let's, let's be opportunistic with each other and build. Completely, completely. That's exactly, exactly how I feel. Thank you. Um, and (laughs) I know that we both, we, you know, we got soft spots for Bernie and something that I do hope. Yes. I hope if nothing else, people really see that socialism is not this like corrupt, evil thing. And people people are just becoming more aware of like, it shouldn't. Okay. For example, it just, it shouldn't be groundbreaking that you have generous benefits. Like you said, you don't even like calling them generous, but they are in America. Like, yeah. So now that, do you think we could in the next century, next hundred years, I don't know, maybe this is just like me projecting my own daydreams, but do you think we could have somebody like Bernie in the future be a president? Totally. I I think we definitely can. I think we like, I I think it's inevitable actually in the sense of like, if we look at the demographic shifts in the United States, I mean, we're becoming a majority minority country. We are becoming, um, you know, we, we have a generation coming up that's like been massively impacted by uh, these, um, you know, deregulated uh, financial crises and bubbles like the student loan debt and all of that stuff. Like we're we're in a generation that's not just becoming more diverse, but also becoming um, really suffering as a result of these policies. Um, that obviously the answer to is more social democracy and um, you know more uh, a reduction of wealth inequality. And like there, like this is what's this is what's happening just in terms of demographic, both on identity factors and economically, like we, the prosperity of the boomers and even to an extent of Gen X, like that's no longer the norm. So when you have a generation that is more disadvantaged economically, like they're obviously not going to lean further into, you know, austerity policies and deregulation and, you know, favoring the wealthy. So I do think that just in terms of, because ultimately like the democratic party on the whole, or like, just they're massive cowards. Like they're just cowardly. They're, 
they're constantly playing defense even when they have a super majority. But I do think that part of that is because they've had a really tough tightrope to walk, which is that demographically, a lot of their base, their their biggest constituency was those, I think a plurality anyway, was like white boomers and Gen Xers mm-hmm. who still had those like economic and of course, obviously, like their funding models are still very tied to corporate interests and whatnot. But with all the lobbying money in the world, they still have to win their elections, right? So as, <laughs> right. Their, as their base becomes more and more progressive, they're going to need to follow that win. And I think they're they're cowardly, but they still want to stay in office. So they'll probably move further and further that way. And, and, and I think one of the things that's like really interesting to note in terms of building that big tent and something that gives me a lot of confidence is like, we hear so much about the squad, right? And, you know, there, there are other members that I think, especially uh, when, you know, the new Congress is sworn in, will kind of expand it. But for right now, I would say the core members are AOC, Alano, Marishi Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley, right? Yeah. Interesting, interesting about them is that Ayanna Presley on policy actually diverges a fair amount with them. Like she's actually more conservative than the other three on a fair amount, but she's still part of the squad. And at least outwardly, they are a united front and they do not throw each other under the bus and they do not undermine each other. And I think that is something that really inspires me because I am certain that there are disagreements behind the scenes. And I am certain like they don't vote the same way. And like, there are ways in which they are, um, they diverge. But I think the fact that someone who is a bit more mainstream Democrat, like Iona Presley is being brought into the fold of something as powerful and um, politically relevant as the squad shows us that like, eventually probably more and more people are going to want to align with the squad because that is what is becoming more relevant. So that stuff does inspire confidence. And also lastly, considering the fact that not just the squad, but like Cori Bush and all of these other people who are coming into play, like 10 years ago, unthinkable. Even someone like Ro Khanna 10 years ago was unthinkable. Oh, yeah, of course. So yes. th- that is inspiring. And honestly, like I got really emotional mm-hmm. the other night watching uh, Bernie doing like a, they were doing like a drive chat. It was like, I think just to get out the vote with like him and the squad. And he was like getting all emotional. Cause they were like, you know, we're here, you know, in, in so many ways because of you. And like, you used to be totally alone in Congress, at least in the Senate and the way you felt, and now you're not alone. And like that stuff I think is, is definitely inspiring. And I think Bernie will look back in 50 years and, and see him as a major, major figure in American politics. Oh, for sure. Uh, Chelsea, that's what I needed today. I've been having mixed emotions <laughs> with, uh, I'm like, I don't know, like yesterday I was, ugh, yeah, so I think I needed that for sure. And Aww. we are going to get right into our industry rapid fire. Now you wear many hats. So you can answer these just as a writer, CEO, online person. But what do you think is the biggest misconception about your industry? Um... Uh, about online media, I would say it's that we uh, choose all of our advertisements. Anything you see that's like a banner or the pre-roll on YouTube, that's based on that's based on your Google history, honey. <laughs> so when someone like some people will sometimes screen cap our website that has like a Trump ad on the banner, and I'm like, that's you, honey, girl, girl, <laughs> come on now. You know Chelsea like, is not. A Trump fan behind that? No, it's that. Like, what have you been Googling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I just posted about this. Um, I was visiting my parents in Florida, which is uh, Trump central, um, obviously. But uh, I... I was really interested because, you know, with like Lil Wayne and all these different rappers coming out supporting Trump. I, yeah. So then I just started getting bombarded with like Candace Owen videos and yeah, I just needed to like clear the history. And I, so, uh, sorry, not to go off on this tangent for one second, but few people do. bother me more than Candace Owens because it is so transparent that she doesn't believe this stuff. That's and, like, how I feel. She was like, she was running a like, progress like a democrat sort of like like the onion type thing where she was like doing left-wing parody and then like that wasn't working and then like not even three months later she comes out with these videos about like how i had my awakening it's like you did not have any awakening no you didn't this is i think 
because I know you had um, Kim Foster on. I completely think she's acting. I think this is... Oh, totally. Like, this... I don't think she believes what she's talking about. And it's really sad because she is this poster poster child for, like, Black conservati- conservatism and, like, having the Blexit and all of these things. And it's... Um, long story short, I used to have some people in my life that... We have since not, we've parted ways, but they would send me Candace Owen videos and they'd be like, see, like, and I'm like, I hate that. I just, and yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of them out there that it's like, there's several of the right wingers out there right now that are clearly riding a wave of just like good funding and attention, but they do not believe this stuff. Completely girl. Mm -mm. And then what is your least favorite thing about your industry? Um, Media Twitter. Yeah. yeah. All of those people need to like, <laughs> I don't know. I would say get a job, but they probably already have jobs of some extent, but they need to get something other than their job. That's actually what it is. <laughs> get a hobby. Like care about something else for 10 seconds. They're all yes. little drama queens. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, what's the best thing about your industry? Mm, that everyone, and this is flawed, obviously, and sometimes not the best people rise to the top, but that everyone at least gets some kind of a voice. Yeah, totally. That is true. And then what is the hiccup or failure you would never change about your journey or that you are the most grateful for? Honestly, getting canceled um, and writing that thing. Because I think that having gone through that process in a way that didn't like take me down and also provided an opportunity to become more thoughtful, not just about that situation, but about how I put ideas out there, um, I think was of great benefit to me and taught me a lot that in starting my own media business would become um, very helpful and useful to me. That's a really good point. That's important. And then we have something uh, that we do sometimes for special guests, and it's called Fangirl Corner. And this is completely for me and my own (gasps) indulgence. (laughs) So we do like or swipe. So I'm going to say something like means you like it. Swipe means you're not into it because you are into home decor. This is home decor themed. Yes. Now, some of these, I know how you feel, but I'm just ready to get people's panties in a bunch. So (laughs) all white decor. Oh, swipe hard. <laughs> Having an Instagram aesthetic. You mean like like the whole grid is like very coordinated? Mm-hmm. Jail. <laughs> it's so stressful. <laughs> it's so stressful even to look at. Who has the time? It's 2020. <laughs> Minimalism. Um, I used to be a hard swipe, but now I'm like, honestly, if it makes you happy, fine. But I do think like, yawn in terms of an aesthetic visually i'm like i'm over it completely actually um gonna brag on you for a moment you gave me the because for a while minimalism was so in and i'm like am i missing something and then i whether maybe you said maybe it was an article or something you said but i'm like damn it i do like color and i'm gonna paint this wall and who the fuck cares like it's totally totally my mother is a very very good at all things home Uh, design. And she always said that like white on white on white or minimalism is very much about like people who are sort of afraid to make mistakes visually. Yes. 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 Um, Maximalism. So I like in general, but sometimes I see photos of it that I'm like, this is kind of giving claustrophobia, especially (laughs) the one thing that really stresses me out is like, I'm, I like plants. I have some house plants, but there's like plant Instagram where people have just like a disgusting amount of plants. I'm like the mustiness in your house. Girl and the gnats. Like <laughs> the gnats. It is not healthy what's going on in there. <laughs> I just like the, even the picture like looks just like moist. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> neutral rainbows. What is a neutral rainbow? It's like, I mean, I genuinely like them, but they're kind of like the new basic bitch thing of like yeah google it it's like if you're very bare and but still dainty and i'm sorry is it like just the color scheme or is it like the actual rainbow form like the rainbow form got it and what if people like do like paintings with this or like Mm -hmm. paintings uh digital prints wallpaper 
whatever floats your boat. I do feel like a lot of this, like the really sort of like line art tone on tone, like kind of that aesthetic is like, it's starting to feel a little dated to me. Like there are a couple things that I'm like, this seems like, like there's like that, there's like the subway tile backsplash, the velvet like jewel tone couch. And I do like those things, but there's a couple things that I'm like, this is going to feel dated. Completely, completely. Just how like I thought we would love cherry wood cabinets forever. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Or like, I mean, these are easy to switch out. So who cares? But like the boob pillows, I feel like (laughs) that to me already feels like a little dated. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Crushed velvet. Yeah. Um, in, in very, very small doses. I have crushed velvet pillows and I think that's about as far as I can go. Yes, I do like those. Hard, or sorry, gold hardware. Love. Love. Well, I, I do brass, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, candles for lighting. Uh, yes, but never, never spend a ton of money on them. I get all my candles basically from oh, yeah. like TJ Maxx or Home Goods. Yes, yes. Modern farmhouse. Ugh. I just I feel just, like, yeah, go ahead. I want to hear you. No, I was going to say, I'm just over it and but it's it could also be like i'm in dallas we're close to waco so like it's magnolia like central so i don't know if i'm i have that feeling but i'm just over it i'm over it i feel like it's like every housewife on like beverly hills in orange county they're all in like this modern farmhouse they all have like the ship lap on their walls like it's just i don't know it just it feels like to me very kind of like christian girl autumn decor at this point (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is like not. Yeah. Wait, have you? I forget the name of it. That home decor show. It like just. It's. I think the husband's name is Sid. I forget. It has like the most generic name, but one. basically she's from Utah. And okay. my friend and I were talking about, it and I'm like, it's just a bunch of rich white women buying yeah. home, like modern farmhouse for other rich white women. In, yeah. In general, I don't like anything that feels very of the moment because I just feel like that. I want to, I want to learn about you from your decor. And I feel like with that kind of stuff, I don't know you. Exactly. Love you. Okay. Tuxedo <laughs> cabinets. What are tuxedo cabinets? Oh, you know these. Okay. So it's like the top will be one color and then the bottom drawers will be a different I color. used to have them. Yes, yes. I love tuxedo cabinets. I hope Me they too. Never... Okay. Me too. Great. Gallery walls. Love. And love. then the and then finally terracotta. In what context? Mm, just like a vase or something. I don't mind it, but I feel like it's one of those things that like can very easily start to look um kind of like 90s trading spaces a little bit like (laughs) but again I live in New York and so like I feel like I would love terracotta if I was in a home that had like a patio and like indoor outdoor like I feel like in in a New York City apartment I feel like terracotta I don't know you'd have to have a really big place for it I go ahead no you go ahead say something no 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 were you gonna say something Oh, no, I was just going to say the the very, very last one, but you go ahead about p- terracotta. No, no, no. I, I was done. Give me the last oh, one. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, finally, the Pantone color of the year, classic blue. Oh, I got to Google it. Yeah, Girl, no, it's like primary color blue. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like yeah. I have a lot of respect for people who can integrate colors like this into their style. Um, in a way that looks mature, but that I can't. No, I was underwhelmed when that was the color. I'm excited for the next one. And then the very last thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead. No, I was going to say the very last thing is love, Mary kill. And this is going to be the home cook edition. Aromatics, cheese, truffle oil. Kill truffle oil, although I do like some truffle things every now and again. Um, I know. I know, but if I had to. uh, Love cheese, Mary Aromatics. Okay, yeah. So I was like, you have to keep aromatics. Perfect. Now, Chelsea, I know everyone wants to, like, keep up with you. So where can people learn more about you, learn more about your hot takes, and keep up with you um, in the next year? 
Um, so just Google Chelsea Fagan. All my handles are a little bit different on the different platforms, but I'm generally on Instagram. And if you ever want to talk to me on Twitter is the best place. And always, of course, check out the financial diet. That's basically just the financial diet everywhere. And also just like back to the home decor, I have to say huge, huge shout out to your Instagram because I absolutely love your home. It's so cute. It's a great home. And I feel like I get to know you. Yes. Well, and that's okay because love you, mom. But when you walk (laughs) into my mom's house, it's fucking, it's a museum. Like she doesn't like, it's, you don't know who lives there. And I'm like, no, I went when like I have a my favorite murder poster and I have like paintings that I've done at wine nights and Angela Davis. Like I want you to kind of like come in and be like, okay, I think I know who this girl is. And speaking of which, where did you get? Cause I assume you got it printed somewhere, but you have that Solange album cover, but like as like a hanging fabric. Yes. How did you do that? Okay. So it's like my top FAQ and Jordan. So I think that is like so gorgeous. So super quick. I grew up where, like, the waif, white, blonde girl was, like, beauty, you know? So I'm just like, I wish I would have had this growing up. So I told Jordan I wanted it, and he's, like, the graphic designer guy. Um, He does a lot of things, but that's, like, one thing he does. So he blew it up in Photoshop, and then he Mm -hmm. printed it at Staples. And I I forget where he got the, like, hanger thing, but they're, like, magnetic. I mean, probably, Mm. like, Amazon or something. But, yeah, he just... Blew it up at Staples, $17 or something. And And it's not printed on fabric. It looks like fabric. No, no. It's like big ass paper. Wow. Because I love that hanger. I think it's a really cool look. I'll ask him where he got it. Yeah, I can't remember where he got the hanger, but he is frugal Frank. So, I mean, I know it's something super affordable. (laughs) But thank you, Chelsea. And then Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you for coming. Tell Mona we said hi. Oh, my gosh. Wait, let me get Mona. She's going to say hi. Mona, come here. You have to say hi. Mona is her dog, everyone. Mona! Cutie patootie! What is this one's name? This is Winslow. He's Winslow! What a good name. Yeah, because he looks like an old man, so I feel like he he needed a man name. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much, and... Again, thank you for this full circle moment and yes. I will talk to you next time. Is she not a gym or what? She is fantastic. Please make sure to follow Chelsea on all of her platforms. And if you want to add to this conversation and I encourage that you do encourage you to do words are hard. Um, that's why I'm a writer. Um, But yeah, keep chatting with me, officepolitics.podcast on Instagram, or you can even follow my personal account, Jasmine Reed Clark. Um, Yeah. And tell me your hot takes. What are your hot takes? Who should go to jail? Until next time. Bye, y'all. Bye.